You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29 is, uh, we conclude our series on legacy. Legacy is built through repetition and faithfulness and consistency. Uh, So what kind of a legacy are you building? What kind of a legacy is it that you're leaving? The sum of what you do today is your legacy tomorrow. Not just the legacy for what people will say after they put you in the ground and cover you with dirt, but the legacy that you leave when you maybe move from one job to another. What, What do the people where you left, what are they saying about you? Um, in your home, when you go out, what do people say about you? Uh, your friends, what do people say about you? You finish school and you're moving on to another part of your education. The friends you hung out with, the fellowships you were in, what, what do they say about you? That's your legacy. And what kind of a legacy are we leaving? As we've looked at the series, we started out with the foundation that we need to leave a legacy of the fear of God that God is on the throne in our lives. We get that wrong, we get it all wrong. If, if we think we're on the throne and we're manipulating and we're doing all of the things and that's the kind of legacy we're gonna leave, but that's not a godly legacy. We wanna leave a legacy of God on the throne. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. And we want to be people of God who leave a legacy of the fear, the awesome respect of a holy God we want to leave a legacy of the fear of God. And then we started to take a look at some things that build out of that and what our legacy, what should be parts of our legacy. The, the next message we looked at was about Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, and we talked about prayer. Daniel's like 80 some odd years old, and they're told they can't pray other than to the king for 30 days. And uh, Daniel had prayed to God all of his life, and some decree wasn't going to stop him. And so three times a day, he went up to his room, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And what did it get him? It got him a trip to the lion's den. But what we see. We see that he left a legacy of prayer. The whole story of Daniel in the lion's den is because he would not stop praying, and we're still talking about it today. A legacy. A legacy of the Word of God from Deuteronomy 6, that we take God's Word and we bind it on our hearts. Uh, Do we lead when we talk with people as followers of Jesus Christ? Do we lead from our opinions and our thoughts, or do we lead from the Word of God? And we want to be people who have a legacy that the Word of God is central to what we do, and we live our lives out of the Word. We talked about faith. We remember we looked at the second Timothy and we saw about uh, Timothy's grandma and his mother and the, the passing on of faith. And as Paul said, and I see it in you as well, that we'd be people of God who are leaving a legacy in our homes, in our neighborhoods, with our friends, a legacy of our faith, of what we believe. Then we looked at family. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labors labor in vain. As for me and my house, we saw in Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then uh, the last two weeks, we talked about being an example, a legacy of an example, a legacy of a solid work ethic last week. And this week, we want to take a look at a legacy of hope, a legacy of hope. On Wednesday morning, I was in the kitchen. A ladies' uh, ministry meets on Wednesday. I went down. I'd get a creamer or something. I don't know. But I, there was one of the ladies was there, and, uh, 
And she, she just said, I want to thank you for the series on legacy. It's been very helpful for me and all the rest. I was really blessed and encouraged by that. And so I told her that this week was the last week, and this week's message is about hope. And here's what she said. She said, well, you got to end with hope, right? You got to end with hope. But people want hope. They want hope. And so uh, in our legacy, what does that look like? Uh, those words were so true. And uh, today, that's what we want to see. So I trust you've got your Bibles open, Jeremiah 29. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for um, the reality that we get to hold it in our hands and we get to be challenged through it. And I pray, God, you would give us ears to carefully listen to what's being said, not the opinions of man, but what does your word say? Father, give us uh, minds that we might understand it. But then, Lord, would you do the work that only you can do in our hearts and lives that we would passionately live out? Live out what we've learned. Live out what we know. That we would leave a legacy, a legacy of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. So lead us in your word today. Encourage our hearts. Correct us if we need it. Do your work in your way for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seat. Well, hope. Let's first of all talk about what hope is not. Um, the world would talk about hope in the context of I... I hope something will happen, or I hope it won't happen. Um, and so people hope that they will have good health. Uh, they hope that they will be wealthy. They hope that there will be peace. Um, they hope for safety. They hope for power. They hope for control, all this. I hope so kind of stuff um, in their lives. Um, the biblical view of hope is very, very different than that. You know, a number of years ago, uh, people, primarily women, used to have a box that would be something like this. And uh, um, when I carried it in, when we, I didn't carry it in alone, when we carried it in yesterday afternoon, um, Dan Newen goes, oh, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. It's not the Ark of the Covenant. It's not overlaid in gold, and it's not got angels on top of it, and the Ten Commandments are not inside it. Okay. It's not the Ark of the Covenant. What is it? It's a hope chest, right? Most of you are going, hope chest? What's a hope chest? Well, before the earth's crust hardened, young ladies used to have a box and they would put stuff in it as they were looking forward to the day when they would get married and all kinds of stuff they put in it. And uh, some of the stuff that they might have put in it might include something that somebody made for them. Maybe when they were little, their grandma made them a teddy bear. And they would want, that's going with them when they leave home. And so, so that gets tucked into uh, their hope chest. Uh, maybe they start to collect um, the kind of dishes that they want to have. And so they would put that. That would be in your hope chest. It's going with you uh, when you get 
married. Or uh, maybe they would have uh, an album with their baby pictures and pictures of their family. Nobody has albums anymore, I get it, because it's all on your computer. But, but they used to do that, and there'd be pictures of your family. That was going with you uh, when you went. Or maybe uh, someone had made you a baby blanket or a nice quilt, and when you leave home, that's going with you. It was called a hope chest. Uh, maybe you would have in yours your baby shoes from when your first shoes that you ever got and you're taking those with you. It's your hope chest as you were looking forward to what was coming and probably you would have in there the letters that your lover was sending to you that you were going to marry one day and uh, these were all from some guy named P. Witt. That was me. <laughs> Written to Sue. Um, you would put those kind of things in your hope chest. And I'm not putting them back in there. Sue's protecting these because you are not going to see them. And, uh, <laughs> but those were letters that I wrote to her and, and she kept them. I read some of them before. They're kind of embarrassing. Not that they're rude or anything. Just like, oh my word, I was so sappy. And, uh, <laughs> but they had a hope chest. They're hoping for something. They were hoping for something. But biblical hope looks different than that. Biblical hope is not I hope for, I hope something will happen. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation. A confident expectation. Hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unclean and unknown. And in our text, we're going to see that God gives the people hope. And in our testimony, in our legacy, we need to be people of God who are leaving a legacy of hope. One that starts in the fear of God and is built with all kinds of other things and ends up with hope. In Psalm 33 and verse 18, a verse I'd never really noticed before till this week, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope, in his steadfast love. So what kind of legacy of hope, of confident assurance, are you building, are you leaving, are people talking about when they talk about you? Some things we want to see right out of our text this morning, and then I want to share with you some things that I believe need to be in our legacy of hope. And so as we dive into the text, first of all, there's a great need in this text. The uh, verse 10 says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. There's a great need. The people are in Babylon. Uh, the, the northern kingdom had fallen into exile many, many years before. The southern kingdom is now in exile and the people are there, and there's nothing they can do about it. There's nothing they can do to change it. There's a great need. And the reality is they're going to be there for 70 years. Uh, some of the people who heard this and heard Jeremiah talk about it, they're not coming back. Um, the, the need is great. The need is great. And to make it even worse, there were prophets who were saying that there was going to be a quick return. The exile would be over soon. They're all going home. It's all going to be fine. And, and God has told Jeremiah that's not true. Um, it's going to be 70 years uh, before they go home. And so the need for them was great. The, the, the load they carried was difficult. It wasn't going to be easy for them. And they needed hope. 
So the first thing was the need is great. In verse 11, though, we see that our God is greater. Look what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Our God is greater. Even though they're going to go through hardship and even though they're going to go through trials and even though they're going to face this discipline because of the sinfulness in their lives and it's not going to be shortened, they're going to deal with it. Our God is still greater. Two things I want you to see out of this verse. First of all is that God is thinking about them. God is thinking about them. And and extrapolate that out. God thinks about us. Look what the verse says. It says, for I know. I know the plans. I know what I'm going to do. You're on my mind. You're on my heart. I haven't forgotten about you. It says, I know. What an amazing thought that God has plans for us, that God thinks about us, that the one who knows the beginning and the end, he cares for us. And that's the second part. Not only does he know, but he plans. He has plans for you. He has plans for you. Plans for welfare and peace and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now for them, there's a historical sense to this where they're in Babylon and after 70 years, from 605 BC, 70 years later, they're going to be returning to the land and and God is going to bring them back. Literally, he's going to do that for them. But there's the reality for all of us and the picture that this is of when we find ourselves under the discipline of God. God doesn't leave us in the ditch. God God cares for us. He's thinking about us. He has desires for us. He has plans for us. and, And they're going to be fulfilled. They should bring us great hope. I'll give you a future. And I'll give you a hope. As you live out your faith, as you tell your story, Do people see from you and your story a sense of a future and a hope? They should. Because we have the greatest hope there is in the world through the finished work of Jesus Christ. They should see our hope. They should know our hope. When we go through the trial, when we go through the difficulty, when we go through the discipline, we, we don't back away. We lean in and watch what God does. Yeah, their need was great, but their God, our God, is greater But notice their response, and our response is critical. In verses 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Look what it says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Our response to God's working, our response even in the good times, when God is working. Our response in the difficult times when it is hard. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. How many of you are guilty of what I've been guilty of when a hard thing comes and you buckle down and you try harder and you work more and trust the Lord less And God says, you want to find me? You'll find me when you seek after me with all of your heart. You're trying to figure out what's going on in your life. You got this medical report, not what you wanted to hear. And you're like, ah, what are we going to do? You will seek me and you will find me. You will seek God. You will find him. You will experience his comfort. You will experience his help when you do it with all of your heart. 
not half-hearted, not I'm just going to try more. When one of your kids goes sideways and you're tempted to doubt, you're tempted to become a little less faithful, you're tempted to, I think I'm just going to pack it all in. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God is not looking for half-heartedness in our passion for him. All of those letters I wrote, all that gooey stuff I wrote to Sue, because I was seeking after her. Is that the way we seek after God? In your difficult situation, in the thing that just landed on your lap this week, How much time did you spend trying to fix it on your own and how much time did you spend on your knees before God seeking after him? Our response is is critical. Our response is critical. But the outcome is incredible. Notice what God's gonna do for them. He's He's gonna take them back to the land. I will be found by you, verse 14, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. They were in exile because of their disobedience. They were in exile because of their sin, and they were under discipline, and they were going to face the discipline. But God says, you seek me, you will find me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring you back to where you once were. I'm going to restore to you the fortunes that you once had. That's a great thing about God and our walk with him. We get out of line, we get offside, we aren't walking as we should, and and then we cry out to God and we seek after him and we come in brokenness and we come in repentance and we turn and God restores us. It's an amazing work that God does for his children. He does it for us all of the time. I will restore your fortunes. I will bring you back from the place which I have sent you into exile your captivity. I need to make a comment about these verses because sometimes people use these verses uh, as prosperity gospel kind of stuff. It's like, um, you know what, you just just trust Jesus and you're going to have everything. It says you're going to restore your, going to restore that stuff. I'm going to give you that stuff. Well, first of all, a couple things. Context, 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 right? First of all, I'm going to restore what you once had. I'm going to give you everything you think you might want. Secondly, you're not getting it till 70 years goes by. It's not some easy believism thing. It's not some name it and claim it kind of thing. When you seek me with all of your heart, but I'll restore the relationship. I'll restore what once was. And that's the working of God in our lives. It's an amazing thing. And I love the fact that in the middle of the journey, they are in the middle of captivity and God is giving them hope. God is giving them hope. And God uses us as his ambassadors to be ambassadors of hope. So the question that I would have for us is, um, what is your legacy of hope? What is my legacy of hope? What does it look like? And I want to walk you through some things that the Lord's laid on my heart today that I desire to have as my legacy of hope. Uh, These Probably for everybody in the room, there might be something I missed that you're like, no, I want that as my legacy of hope. You go for it if it's found in God's word. You may, but these are some things that God's laid on my heart when I think when people talk about me, when people 
say, you know, that guy, Paul Winningstall, you know, here's what I remember about him. These are some of the things that I want to hear them say or I want said. Not for me, but for God's glory. The first one has to do about my view of God and that God is sovereign. I want my legacy of hope to be about the sovereignty of God. If you were to look up the word sovereign in the dictionary, you'd find the words and phrases like superior or greatest or supreme in power and authority or ruler or independent over all things. If you want to put it down into like, how many words? Four words. God is in control. Do you have a legacy that people look at and even mention God? Do you have a legacy that in your legacy, it's like God is in control? I remember uh, when Sue had her accident, serious accident. She was in the hospital for uh, four weeks. You've heard much of you may have heard that story before. And at one point, she had a blood clot that went to her lung and, and another one. It wasn't a good time for us. And I remember um, driving home after talking to the doctor and not knowing what was going to happen and saying, God, if you want to take her, that's okay. And then I pulled off and I wept. It's not what I wanted. But when it's hard, are you going to trust God? Are you going to lean on him when it's going to be difficult? The God who is in control is the God who's in control when everything is going good is the same God who's in control when it's difficult and it's hard. And I want that to be my story. God preserved her and took care of her and amazing life he's given us together. And I just rejoice in God's faithfulness. But I remember that day. Remember how hard it was to say those words and believe them, knowing that God would take care because God is in control. God is above all things and he is before all things. God created all things. He holds all things together. God knows all things, past, present, and future. There are no surprises for him. God can do all things and accomplish anything that can be done. God can do it. Why? Because he is sovereign. He is God. God is in control of all things. He rules over all. And some people struggle with, well, the world we live in and the sin, why, why does God let bad things happen to good people? It's a consequence of sin. The rains fall on the just and the unjust, the Bible says. The question is, what will we do when the rain falls on us and when we struggle? Will we still call him Lord? Will we still lean in? Will we still trust him? I hope, I trust that you desire a legacy that raises the sovereignty of God. That's the first thing. The second thing I want my legacy to be about is about salvation. I want my legacy to be about salvation. I want the story of what Jesus Christ has done to be my story. And not just because I'm a pastor of the church and I get to stand up and do this every week, but, but because of the consequences of that. And that should be your desire for a legacy as well about the salvation of God. 
Man in the garden in Genesis falls in his sin. Spiritually, he is dead. He can't do anything to make himself alive again. And God, we see all through the Old Testament is bringing us to the point where Jesus Christ would come. We see all of the laws. We see all of the shedding of of blood and sacrifices of the bulls and the goats and the rams and the little lambs and all of that because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. All of that being a picture of what's going to come in Jesus Christ when he would shed his blood so that I could be saved. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. God helping me, I want my legacy to be a legacy about God's salvation, about what he did, about his working. I've shared with you before, I'm sharing with you again, because if I can share it, I'll share it, and I'll share it, and I'll share it, because it's so foundational to what we need, and and that is what does our salvation look like? And again, all these verses coming right out of the the book of of Romans, But in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It shows us our position. For all have sinned, that's everyone, and fall short of what God expected, of the glory of God. And if you want to go and be with God, if you want to spend eternity with him, as opposed to spending eternity in hell, because that is the only other option. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. You know, I've heard uh, non-Christians say, well, you Christians think we're better. you're better than us. Are you kidding me? Christians better than anyone else know how much we don't deserve what we've received. And the only difference between us and anybody else in the world is Jesus Christ. It's not about us. We're not any better. There are two kinds of people in the world, people who know Jesus Christ and people who don't. But that's the only difference. The Bible goes on to say in Romans 3.10, it says, as it is written, none is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're like, eh, I don't know, maybe not me. I think, I think I'm doing okay. Okay, here's what the next verse says. None is righteous, not even one. So if you think you're the one, you're not the one. No one is righteous. Sin separates us all from God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The price for our sin, the price of separation, the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, eternal death, separated from God. In Romans 5 and verse 8 it says, But God. Our condition, everyone, separated from God, but God. When we couldn't do anything to fix this problem, but God, but God. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ hung on a cross. Christ shed his blood. Why? Because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the only one who could die for our sin. 
He was the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation. He was the one who satisfied the wrath of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. That page is in my Bible. There it is. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say it's about you. Not about what, what you accomplish. It's about what he accomplished. It's about believing. If you believe, not if you work harder, not if you try more, See, my legacy, your legacy needs to be one about the salvation work of God and how you didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it and God did it for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Romans 10 verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an awesome hope. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Not, not, it's not saying, do you believe about God? It's not saying, do you believe about Jesus? Satan believes about Jesus. And he's not saved. It's not about calling on the name of the Lord. It's, I'm in my desperate strait. I can't fix this. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. And I believe, and I'm saved. In Romans chapter 5, and verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, through believing, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. In Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's our salvation. That's what God has done for us. And every one of us in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ needs to desire to have a legacy that's about the salvation that God has given to us. So how are you doing at that? One of the test ways you can know of how you're doing it, that is who have you talked to about this recently. But another way you can do it is who knows your story? Who knows your story? Could I walk up to you as a parent of, of say, teenagers or, or kids in, in grade school and say, hey, tell me the story of how your dad came to know Jesus. Tell me the story of how your mom came to know Jesus. Could they do it? Could they do it? See, that's the legacy we want to leave. A legacy of God's sovereignty, a legacy of salvation. Here's the next thing, a legacy of assurance. A legacy of confident hope in our salvation. Not, I, I hope I'm saved, I hope I'll be okay. No, but a confidence of knowing that in Christ we are saved, we are cared for, God is taking care of us. Eight, uh, Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. God's not bringing it up. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It said, a full assurance of faith. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you might hope that you have eternal life. Not that you might think, well, maybe I'll stand before God and maybe the balance will tip in my favor. No, 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 it's not about you. See, I'm gonna stand before God one day and the amazing thing is that I'm not gonna stand based on my merit. I'm gonna stand based on what Jesus Christ did for me. That's our hope. 
That's our assurance. That's the confidence we have. It demonstrates itself out in life change in us, in fruit that happens in our lives. I don't believe you can be saved and it doesn't change you. But, but what the changes are seen and the confidence that we have isn't even in those things. The confidence that we have is in who Jesus is and what he did for us. A legacy of assurance. Laura Hartsleaf, who was in the last uh, service, has been teaching a women's study in our church and from what I understand was very, very well received. Um, I don't go to the women's ministry. That might surprise you. But, um, but I saw a little piece out of one of the video things that she did, and, and she said this. Maybe a bit of a loose paraphrase, but she said it's right. Until you believe you are forgiven, you will not act like you are forgiven. Until you believe that you're forgiven, you won't act like you're forgiven. And when I believe that what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me, then I'll act like that. So many Christians are sitting on the sidelines and they're not serving. And it's like, well, no, 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 you don't understand what I did. No, I don't. But I understand what Jesus did. And we would start believing what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We would start to act out of that because of what he's done for us. The great assurance we have is not because we're so good, it's because God is so awesome. I want to leave a legacy of sovereignty of God, a legacy of salvation, a legacy of assurance. Here's another one. I want part of my legacy story to be a legacy of forgiveness. A legacy of forgiveness. I'm not going to hold grudges. I'm not going to keep bringing it up. You know, sometimes, now you have to understand, in our marriage, Sue needs to forgive me way, way more than I need to forgive her. Okay, we just got that on the table, right? But sometimes, once in a while, twice since we got married, she did something and I had to forgive her. That was hyperbole, okay. But I want to bring it up. Well, don't you remember when? I don't want that to be my legacy. I'm so thankful God doesn't keep bringing it up. My sin has gone as far as the east is from the west. I've been justified by faith in the work that he did. I want my legacy to be a legacy of forgiveness. We've had some things in our life. We've had people who have hurt us along the way and not bringing it up anymore. Letting it go. I'm not going to be bitter about it. My kids don't need to know. Now, is, is there sin that happens and it needs to be dealt with? Of course there is, and it needs to be dealt with. That's not what this message is about. That's a different message. But the reality is we have to come to the place of I'm going to forgive, I'm going to let it go. And that's what I want. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for me. That's what he did for me. I want to have a legacy that's about forgiveness because of God's awesome work. Two more things real quick. I want to have a legacy that demonstrates sanctification. What? Okay, I want a legacy that demonstrates the way God has grown me up. You've heard me say before, we're not what we're going to be. What we're going to be in heaven is going to be so much better than this, right? We're not there. I'm not even yet what I should be. 
lots of areas still to grow in. But I know for sure I'm not what I used to be. I am now in Christ, and Christ has been growing me up, and the things are different, and I am, how are you following after Christ? What is the passion of your heart to be like Jesus Christ? And can people see the difference? Can they see the growth in you? Can they see the change in you? They need to. They have to. And I want to have a legacy of growing up in Christ being changed, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, learning to set my pride aside and put God on the throne. God help the father who can't say I was wrong to his kids or can't say I'm sorry or can't ask his wife to forgive him because of pride. We need to be growing up in Christ. Nobody expects you to be perfect. We need to be growing. We need to be changed. We need to be more like Jesus every day. And so when somebody says to you, yeah, but I remember one. Yeah, that's not great. That's a remember one. I'm not like that anymore. It's different now. Here's what God is doing in my life. Here's the way I'm growing up in Jesus Christ. I'm being sanctified. More and more, it means to be set apart. It means to be holy. It's progressive. It's a bumpy road but it's moving us more and more to be like Jesus Christ, the Lord. See, I want that. That's the story I want. I don't want my kids to think I was perfect. They already know I'm not. I don't want to play a game like I am. And when I fail or when I sin, I want to own it so they see Christ working in me, changing me, making me more like Jesus Christ. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Things have changed. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A legacy of sanctification. And one more. I want to see a le- they leave a legacy of heaven. A legacy about where we're going. A legacy about what's being prepared for us. Now I get it. I'm getting to be a little bit older. Parts of my body hurt that I didn't even know I had a few years ago. So I get that. And I get it when I was younger, but the focus isn't the same. But we need to learn to focus on heaven. We need to learn to focus on what God is preparing for us because if we don't, we end up just living for today. And for some of you in the room, you think, well, that's just a long way off. It's a long way off. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, but maybe. But it doesn't change the fact that this world is three score and 10 and then it's over and then we have eternity to look forward to and yet we struggle because we find ourselves living for today. David wrote in Psalm 23, 6, we saw this two summers ago, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. After all the things he said, the Lord is my shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and all the rest of it. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that part of your legacy? Do people see what you're looking forward to and it's not on this earth? In John 14, 2 to 4, it says, in my father's house are many rooms, Jesus is speaking, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. 
and you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas goes on in that text, and we learn Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But Jesus, I'm, I'm preparing a place for you. And it's going to be so much better than what you have here. You're not going to have to take the leaves out of the gutters. You're not going to have to uh, get the roof replaced on your house. You're not going to have to worry about leaky windows. You're not going to have to worry about, does the air conditioning work? You're not, I'm preparing a place for you, God says. I'm preparing a place for you. And it's going to make this stuff on earth look so awful in comparison. But heaven isn't just about what God's preparing for us. Heaven's going to be about that we will worship with him and we will bow at his feet and we will bring glory before God. We will praise his name. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be looking forward to that and that should be, needs to be part of our story. And give you hope. That's what Jeremiah said. And what am I doing? And what are you doing? to leave a legacy of hope. A legacy that puts God on the throne in his sovereignty. A legacy that makes a big deal, a huge deal out of God's salvation for us. A legacy about the, the hope and the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ the Lord. A legacy that says, I forgive you. Just as I have been forgiven, I forgive you. A legacy that's about God's sanctifying work in my life. And a legacy that's pointing people towards heaven. Well, so what? What are you building for in your life? What will you leave behind? Just like we saw in the bumper at the beginning of, this, of the message, what you are doing by repetition and faithfulness and consistency, what are you doing to build a godly legacy? The sum of what you do today is your legacy tomorrow. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love. Let's pray. Father, we've taken seven weeks now and or so and looked at what is legacy? What are we leaving behind? What's the story that we're telling? What will people talk about? And Lord, it all revolves around you. It all revolves around you on the throne, you first, your glory. And Lord, that needs to be the foundation of our, our legacy. But Lord, today we've taken a look at hope. And what are we doing in our walk? What are people saying about us that would demonstrate the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? God, with your help, would you convict us of the thing we've heard today that needs to be addressed and fixed and made right? Would you break us of our own pride and thinking that we're something and, Lord, we've left you off the throne? Would you give us a passion to... Leave a story behind that's a story of your grace and your mercy and your love and your goodness to us. God, do your work in our hearts. Do your work in your way. Do your work for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.